Hello and welcome to the My Dietitian Journey podcast. My name is Adam, your co-host and producer. With me, of course, Felicia Peraza of Peraza Nutrition and MyDietitianJourney.com.net. Um, go to Netscape.edu. Who remembers Netscape? That's me aging myself. Not me, but one it's day a, there will be a website. It's the first <laughs> internet browser. Like back in the day, the OG, oh. Netscape Navigator, whatever. You okay. went to the library and used Netscape. Probably. What are we talking about today? We are going to talk about starting your private practice, which is something we've talked about before, but that kind of like first stage after you've maybe left the job and you've been thinking about private practice for a while, but now you're like, okay, it's time to start. What do I do? How do I get myself organized? All right. So we've talked a little bit about this before, like what to do, how to get started. We're going to go more in depth on certain things, talk Mm -hmm. about a little bit mentally getting yourself ready, ways to think about things, and also just more in depth on certain steps of the process. It's still the biggest sticking point for people who wish to get into private practice, how to actually start. So yeah. what what do you want to get into first? What's sort of the first thing someone should actually do and start thinking about? So the first thing really is just get yourself organized, which sounds really simple. Like, of course, I need to organize myself. But I talk to a lot of dietitians who leave a job or, you know, change careers or just they're ready to start their practice and they're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I don't even know what the first steps are to take. And so just kind of get yourself organized mentally, but also like your physical space. Can you please tell me what that means? That's <laughs> such a buzzwordy thing to say. It Let's is. get organized. That's like step one, get like every buzzfeed, like four <laughs> step is. video. For- yeah. So it's like the first thing, just figuring out all the steps that you might need to take. So we're going to talk about a lot of the steps today and kind of organize things actually in this podcast. But Brainstorm everything that you need to do and then prioritize your list. So a lot of times I'll have dietitians who start. So make a list. Yes. Making a list list, is the biggest thing. Yes. Make a list um, and then start kind of putting things on your calendar because as you start thinking about these steps that we're going to go over too, it can seem really overwhelming as to everything that you need to accomplish. And some stuff really does not need to get done right now. And so kind of prioritizing that list, but then also making deadlines for yourself. So it's kind of chunking away at different parts of your list versus it being everything all at once. The deadlines thing's a pretty big deal. If you have a deadline for a thing, then you're holding yourself accountable to it. Whereas even if it doesn't have to be done by that time, just imposing a deadline on yourself creates a sort of forced prioritization where you feel compelled to do it because on your calendar, you were going to have it done by this time, even better if there are real deadlines, but if there aren't any real deadlines, just making them for yourself and actually using a calendar. I have found that to be the most useful thing for myself since I became a college student again. Everything's on a calendar and there are due dates and deadlines and I check the calendar first thing to see what I would need to do next. Yeah. It's good for anything you're doing. Definitely. Um, so that's kind of the first step is just kind of laying everything out and getting yourself organized, setting up a little bit of a workspace too. So if you plan to, we're going to talk about spaces um, and you know how to see clients, but figure out where you are going to work as a dietitian. Um, so where you're going to do all your paperwork, where you're going to do all this back-end business stuff. Do you have a space dedicated in your house, your apartment, wherever it is? Um, or do you need to find a space? Because that will keep you kind of mentally organized as well with having all of your stuff in one space to really go back to. I would say probably bare minimum, if someone doesn't have a desk, probably get a desk. Yeah. I would think. a lot. Of, I mean, some people probably just have a laptop that floats around, 
maybe having a space, maybe use your, your maybe kitchen table or something if you have to. But yeah. Some so, kind of, that's, that's a good idea though. It's just having that like, like a, a desk or a table, like a nook we've mentioned before somewhere. Just having any kind of, cause if you don't have a dedicated space for work and you mix spaces a lot, it can be a little disorganizing just in general, trying to prioritize work in a space that you normally have leisure activities. It's mentally, you're not geared for getting work done. Yeah. I find that can, that can be something that people struggle with. I've, I've seen that talked about a lot. Yeah. And you're going to end up with, you know, when you're starting your business, a lot of information to keep track of too. And potentially whether it's electronic documents or paper documents, but you really want to make sure that you're having those um, documents labeled in a spot that's easy for you to access later. Um, so if you have like a, 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 you know, a space to work in, you know, a filing cabinet that you're working off of or your computer, making sure those things are kind of labeled. So everything is just, again, easy to access as you kind of start getting this information. All right. So you want to organize your, your mental space, organize your physical space. Then there's some actual setup for really starting and setting up your business itself. Uh, what steps should uh, someone take to actually establish their practice in the real world and I guess online too? Yeah. So there's definitely some things you're going to absolutely need to do first. So the first is getting what's called an employer identification number. So that's the tax identification number. It's federal. Um, you need to know what's called your business structure for this though. So whether you're going to be a sole proprietor, LLC, um, you're going to need to have an address on file, which if you don't have an, a location set up just yet, which we'll talk about, um, you might have to use your home address. So just consider that. Um, but you will need to, to, to figure out what your structure is going to look like. Um, we're not, this is just educational purposes only. Um, oh yeah. Don't consider this legal advice or whatever. Yeah. we don't sue us. Yes. Okay. So basically though, it's, this is for entertainment. Yes. Entertainment purposes only. Um, but recommended to go at least with an LLC, not necessarily a sole proprietor, although easier. Um, you just want to have that separation of your personal and business. Um, so that's definitely the first thing you need that your experience has been that having the LLC is better and easier in your opinion for you. Yes. It would have been better if you were an LLC from the beginning. Yes. I started as a sole proprietor and it was an easy thing to set up. Um, and it's easy to go to set up, you know, if you're going to be a single member LLC too, um, there's not a lot of paperwork necessarily involved, but for me, I just wish I would have done the LLC to start with instead of going sole proprietor and then changing everything over down the line when I started to work with an account and I realized the benefit of going with the LLC and just really keeping that business and personal separate. So I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but I've seen some Canadian viewers for dietetics and, and dietitian channels. Um, EIN, is that also a Canadian thing? Do they have something like that or something similar? Do you Me? know? I don't know. Okay, that's fine. We'll figure that out. Maybe we'll put a link in the description yeah. or the show notes for anyone who's Canadian to see if we can figure out what the step would be for there. And um, so you say it's easier to set up the LLC. Um, what do you actually do to set up an LLC to LLC yourself? Is there like a government website you go, you fill out a form, you pay a fee? Like what, what, what does that process actually look like? What do you have to do? Yeah. So the, to get the EIN um, and then do the LLC paperwork, that'll be state specific um, if you're in the United States. Um, so the first thing you will need is that EIN number that you can do on the IRS website, just irs.gov. We'll put a link. Um, and it's really simple process to do it online and you get your document right away with your um, EIN on it. 
don't get rid of that document. They will never send you another one. Um, so print it out and download it. You can also do like a, a paper copy that you can mail in, which I don't suggest because it takes a couple weeks. Uh, but that's also an option as well. Snail mail. Snail mail is definitely an option. But you did the thing where you say the not the word in the in the acronym. Oh, did I? E I N number. Oh. ATM machine. Oops. What's oh, well. wrong with you? <laughs> so all right, you um, go to it's state specific. You get your E I N. So then, the, the EIN is federal, and then you go to Yeah, for the LLC or state specific. Yes. Yeah, EIN's the whole United States has an EIN. Yes. That's like a, a big thing. But then, so we, we're in Pennsylvania, and yes. we went to like the Commonwealth Pennsylvania.gov or whatever it was. Yeah. So it's the part the Department of State. Um, for me, it was called PenFile, and now they just changed it, but it, uh, PenFile um, and Keystone is the other one, but we'll put those down below so too. So did you Google like the where's the website for <laughs> yes. LLC? So I went to the Department of the State and searched like LLC, file LLC, and basically what you needed to do or what I needed to do in Pennsylvania was file what's called articles of organization. So it was the information about the um, the LLC. So who was the the owner or the, the, the single member, um, what the EIN was, the individual name. So like my name, the business name, and then information about services. And then you submit that. And it was, I think, $125. Um, and they'll send you back like a All right, so checkmark. just I'm, you know, say I'm in Iowa. Mm-hmm. If I Google Iowa LLC, a business, do you think something will come up that will point me in the right direction? Yeah, because I've done this for um, a couple of other dietitians where they asked about LLCs in their state, and I don't know all of the <laughs> Department of States. But you got them through it from some Googling? Yes, just right. Google, you know, file, you know, LLC and your state, and then you should find your Department of State website and then all of the documentation. There. It'll be a .gov? Yes, it'll be a .gov. All right, and that's your EIN and your... If you're going to LLC, mm-hmm. you don't have to. It's probably better, in our opinion, for entertainment purposes only, yes. to LLC. And you can, you know, this is one of those steps where you can do it yourself, but you can also hire an attorney or there's like those online uh, systems. I can't think of a couple of names, but um, where they do the LLC paperwork for you. So that is another option, but this is one of those things. Oh, where, what, like LegalZoom or something? Yes, LegalZoom. So there are ones out there that you can... We're not affiliated with them. We're not affiliated with them, um, but you can hire an attorney to walk through this process with you. Um, there's also like mentoring. So like, uh, you know, for Pennsylvania, there's a small business association, which um, you can look up areas and uh, they can actually walk you through some of these steps as well. Um so there are options for people to help walk you through this process if you're not feeling comfortable doing yeah, it on didn't, your own. Didn't you get some free advice from a, a local business association or something? Yeah, right. so I did, um, I the Small Business Association, I did like a, a mentor session with them when I was actually going from a sole proprietor to an LLC. And then I also uh, worked with, it was called Philly VIP, uh, which was uh, you know specific to Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Um, and they helped me with um, some of my documentation stuff just for like legal things. It was like an actual an attorney. Um, and then I did a couple of free things with my local library where it was like meet with an, an accountant, meet with an attorney uh, to review paperwork stuff. So there's certainly free resources out there um, that could be helpful for you too. Yeah, I guess a point to make about this stuff is that there's many steps involved. You're going to have to learn a handful of new things, and it's going to put you out of your comfort zone to get into this stuff. You can take it slow, but by all means, don't drag this out to take like four months. No. You can bang most of this out in like a week. Yeah, and, and one thing too to consider is, you know, even if you're hiring an attorney to do your LLC or self-pride or whatever it is, 
you're going to have to decide still yourself on which um, type of business structure you want to go with. So they might talk to you about them, but you ultimately need to decide on which one because I was looking into that. Like LLC. Yeah, whether LLC or partnership or an well, S-corp. Like S-corp, yeah. I mean, yeah, all of those. So they'll give you information, but it's still good to be aware of this yourself, even if you do plan to hire someone to help you through this process or work with someone because they're going to ask you what you ultimately want to do. And so being able to kind of understand all these different types of tax structures and things like that could be helpful. So if that's all of that is necessary, if you're going to have a private practice just straight up, but if you're going to take insurance, you need a national provider identifier. Do you need that if you're not going to take insurance? Um, Not if you're not going to take insurance. They do recommend that all covered like healthcare providers do have one. Um, Okay. So you should have it. Yeah, it is recommended to have one. Um, And if you're a dietitian working in clinical, you might actually have an NPI already. Um, you might have an individual NPI, uh, which follows you like your social security number. So you change jobs, your NPI stays the same. Um, so you will need to, you'll still have that same NPI in private practice, uh, but you'll have to update the information um, as to your practice once you have that form. So if you don't have that, if you're not in clinical, you probably don't have it. Maybe you're in clinical and you have it, but you don't know what it is. Yes. How would you figure that out? So there's the NPPES directory, um, or you can just search for NPI directory, um, and you can actually find... Like you type your own name into a field or something and it'll just bing, yes. here's your number. That's... I've looked for a few people ask me, they were like, I'm not sure if I have an MPI. And that's what I did. So, I just so you found theirs for And them? I found them for. Okay. <laughs> so and it shows you what information is there. So your name, you know, uh, the mailing address, the phone number on file. And so that's that's the information you want to make sure is correct and that you update. But um, All right, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's sort of the main stuff to get ready. So your business structure, well, you need your EIN first, then you set up your business structure, and then make sure you know your MPI if you don't have one. You should get one whether or not you're going to provide for insurance companies. You should still have it. Um, beyond that, there's probably some setup and some, well, is there anything else with that that you wanted to get into? Yes, just the professional liability insurance, um, which to protect against negligence, um, So this is absolutely something I recommend. Even if you're not going into private practice, you should have this as a dietitian. Um, I go through pro-liability, pro-liability by Mercer, also not sponsoring, Um, but I have a professional liability coverage. I don't have um, coverage for like an office because I work, do telehealth, so I don't have an actual physical office space where I see clients. Overrated. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, but I also have an add on for what's called non patient care services, which is like consulting and education. And that also covers me for like teaching related stuff too. Um, but that's the other thing. Highly recommend getting professional liability insurance too. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So that's all the businessy stuff that you can kind of just do from home, pay some fees. Yes. You know, fill out some forms and then like get yourself squared away yeah, at home. Because telehealth is kind of the thing right now. And that may change a couple of years from now. Maybe in-person visits are the, the thing. And telehealth is kind of shoo-shoo, no, no more of that. Maybe. We'll see. But um, either way, right now, the top things are. And it's a good idea to be set up for it. So getting yourself financially situated to become a business owner, there are some costs and financial considerations. What are they? So in terms of like outright costs, one of the nice things about having... A practice is that you can really kind of 
set it up with a very low cost, uh, especially if you're going to do something like telehealth where you don't necessarily need to get an office space. But some cost considerations would be things like the filing of the documents. Like I mentioned, you know, filing the articles of organization. That was like a one-time cost. Oh, fees? Yeah, fees. Yeah. And then also things like, you know, your liability insurances. So some fees like that that would be ongoing. And then if you do get office space, obviously that would be an overhead cost. You're going to be paying rent, monthly rent, like hundreds of dollars per month to rent that office or share it or whatever they yes. do. Yeah. And then like your office related things like printer, printer paper, if you print stuff out, you'll probably end up printing something even if you are telehealth still, um, you know, things like stamps, post-it, all of that kind of like business stuff that you would get from like goods electronics like devices that you would need you'd probably want a computer that's not a piece of crap yes i would think you know (laughs) definitely the laptop you're still stringing along from like 2012 when you finished college maybe is not the machine for this maybe (laughs) maybe not maybe not i'm on a laptop right now from 2012 but you know this Mm -hmm. is assess your situation see how capable your machine is and consider that that could be a consideration. We upgraded your machine pretty substantially when, I mean, we built you a new computer when you started your business. Yeah. And I was working from a laptop, an old laptop at the time, and then a Chromebook. Um, oh, when you, when you actually started, yeah, you had yeah, that stuff. That's what and you I, used. I actually was doing a lot of like home visits and like on-site visits for businesses when I first started. And so the Chromebook was perfect because I can do stuff as I went and it was just a lot easier to like navigate on the go. It was really light. All too. right. We should, we should specify that. So when you, when you first got going and you had some clients rolling in, you were working off of a Chromebook. Um, and that was primarily the machine you used for, yeah. for most things, right? Yes. You had a printer though, didn't you? Oh yeah. I had a printer. Yeah. Um, it was a printer scanner. So, and you had combo. a Chromebook and I had the Chromebook. That's cheap. That was like 200 bucks, right? Yeah. I think it was like 225 yeah, for, for like a, a whole full blown, like a, a Chromebook is not really a computer. The operating system is literally Chrome. The, uh, the, uh, it's, it's the web browser, mm-hmm. but it's fully capable of being a complete, very light duty operating system. And then it offered, um, like no actual memory on, on the device. You had to use SD cards yeah, or so USB little, drives. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it had like two gigs of Ram. That's maybe this is a little more technical than most people care to, to know, but it was not a powerful machine, but it was fully capable of doing what you needed it to do. Mm-hmm. Then when things started to really ramp up, I think when you, after you bailed on the job that you had and you, you really jumped in to this, um, I kind of pushed you to like get like a real setup. Yes. So we, we built Felicia a computer and we got her two 24 inch or 21 inch, 21, 21 inch monitors. Yeah. And she got like an L desk and, um, it's a way bigger, more sophisticated setup. And she's got like a headset and all that. So, and that is, I mean, it's hard to imagine you doing what you do now on a Chromebook. No. But I, to yeah. start with, it's totally fine. And when yes. you get some clients rolling and doing whatever, but your productivity will greatly increase if you have a more capable machine. Part of the reason you got that computer and what you use it for now is, is teaching online for, for the college. Yeah. So it's not entirely for the business, but it does help to have multiple monitors, yes. lots and lots of storage space, you know, a, a graphics card to just like kind of blow through visually stuff. But, you know, not everyone needs that. Either way, that's that was your transition. Yes. And that's one of those things where it's, you know, prioritize, you know, when you're first starting out and depending on where you're starting from, sometimes you might not have a lot of kind of liquid income or, you know, finances to play with really. And so you might be kind of wondering where to spend your money and where to maybe save it. And so you might continue working off of an old laptop or you might invest in 
you know, a Chromebook for the time being or something like that, where it's, you know, smaller and then eventually, you know, put out. Just to clarify, you could operate indefinitely off of a Chromebook or laptop. You don't need some fancy PC rig desktop setup like Felicia has. It's a lot of it's for teaching anyway and content creation and stuff. So just to specify, you don't need that. I think the computer, we dropped like 1200 bucks. Yeah. But that was before the great shortage of GPUs and CPUs (laughs) that might still be a thing whenever you're listening to this. So. Maybe that's not an option. Pre-built computers are still pretty reasonable right now, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so that's you know one thing to consider. What else we got? Um, so the startup costs you want to consider that things like electronic records. Um, so like an electronic medical record EMR. Um, that's something that if you are going to go that route initially, that would be like a cost that you'd be paying. Um, so you want to consider those kinds of costs. It's a monthly fee for uh, medical records and yes. EMR, right? Yes. Um, so that's a monthly fee. So those are the kinds of things. And then, you know, we're talking about finance stuff. So you want to be able to track your finances. Do you need an EMR to start? You don't. So when I first started, and I will say it makes your life a lot easier, but when I first started, I only had like a handful of clients and I was still working a full-time job. And so I, you know, wasn't going to invest in an EMR. I didn't really know a lot of the perks about it. Um, and so I did just paper charting with like a locked filing cabinet and then I started um, using like encrypted flash drives and just everything was still kind of like paper slash, you know, a flash drive. And then eventually went the route of an EMR. And it's so much better in terms of like making things more streamlined. I could send paperwork off to clients. We have a, an, a short video on EMRs, I think. Yes. So, um, but would you, would you recommend, if knowing what you know now, would you recommend someone starts with an EMR? I'd recommend as soon as you can start with an EMR, absolutely. It will make everything so much easier um, moving forward. And it is an upfront cost, um, but... Wait, there's an upfront cost? You yeah. Have to, you have to buy something? Well, there's a monthly cost, I should so say. So there's a monthly. Yes. You just so you monthly, sign up and it's 20 bucks a month. Yes. You don't have to pay 100 to start the service or anything like no, that? No, no. Okay. So like, and it depends. Usually they're like around 50 per month. Um Mine averages out to be about 70-ish per month, but the reason for that is I do some of my claim filing on there too, so that adds some of the costs, and I have an add-on for telehealth, um, so for the secure video conferencing. But there are other alternatives, like doxy.me for seeing clients virtually, which is a free um, online platform. So there's definitely ways to kind of do it low cost, but having everything all in one location, like my EMR, I can do claim filing, Obviously, I have client storage. I can send clients documents. I can securely message them. They can upload stuff. I could do the telehealth. And then I can also um, embed a scheduler on my website for clients to schedule appointments. So it's just well worth the cost of how much time Do you, you save. think it's worth it for people who are not business-minded or haven't developed a financial acumen to kind of sort of consider learning about business and and operating a business in general because what you're talking about right now is when you start you can start low cost but once you once you get your first payment from seeing a client you're going to pay that month's worth of your EMR essentially what you need what you should think about is when you start making money taking that money you make and investing it back into the business so if you start super low cost, right? If you start without an EMR, let's say, or you start without your own website, but you start making money, that's when you need to consider taking that money and investing it into the business to make your operating procedures 
simplified and more streamlined, but your operating costs may increase. Mm -hmm. It's okay to increase your operating costs if your revenue is higher. That's sort of a like, you know, that, yeah. but that business mindset is important to develop if you're getting into this stuff and you want to be successful. As you make money, put money into the business. As you mm -hmm. get recurring income, consider what your operating costs should be, your overhead for, you know, whatever your monthly services are, whatever your ongoing costs are. They can be to start with zero dollars. But as soon as you have like a couple clients that you're seeing, assuming you also have another source of income and you're not, you know, relying on this income to survive. Don't pay 70 bucks a month on an EMR if you need that money for food or something. But yes. if, if, you know, if it's, if this income is sort of extra income and you're doing this on the side, take that money, pump it into the business, mm -hmm. scale things. Like an EMR is a big step. Yeah. It's a pretty big monthly cost, but it'll save you a lot of time. Yes. That time will become really important if you get, you know, if you have two clients, it's one thing. If you have 20, different story. Yes. You want the EMR if you have like dozens of clients. That's yeah. a different story. What, what's the break point? For me, it was about like 15, 20 clients. And this depends on how you space them out. Um, and the reason for that for me was that I was sending out appointment reminders manually uh, each week. And then when I would get a new client, I'd have to send them the welcome email, which I had a template saved, input the information, attach the documents, and then like wait for them to mail the paperwork or email it back if they and it was just so much time i was spending automation yes the service will automate lots of necessary steps for you if you have two clients doesn't matter five mm -hmm. clients probably still doesn't matter 10 clients you're gonna feel it yes you're gonna feel sending out welcome emails you're gonna feel all those individual steps 15 or 20 kind of out of the question in your yeah. opinion <laughs> automate all that stuff it's worth it's i mean god you're you know you're making you know, more than 70 bucks on a single uh, yeah. appointment, you know, it's just pay them at that point, at that point. No. And that's the kind of thing that I was thinking about too, is like how much time I'm spending on this. And then like my time, you know, being spent as like a dietitian and, you know, in an appointment. So that was something I heavily considered too, was that. Yeah. You got to consider how much your time is worth and, and where you're spending it because that time you could be spending on doing other things, looking into other stuff, getting more leads for new clients, all kinds of stuff you could be spending the time on. You could pay a program to do it for you. Yes. In this case, that would be worth it, in your opinion. Yes. For entertainment purposes only. Yep. At about 15 or 20 clients. <laughs> I would say it's necessary. Yes. It's kind of pushing it, but whatever. All right. So that's, um, so what else are we talking about here? How do you accept payment? So there's a couple ways. One, and the way I first started, um, was setting up a, a business bank account, just at like my regular banking institution. So there's like online platforms you can use, which I'm not hundred percent familiar with in terms of like setting up an actual business bank account. But, um, I just set up one through my local bank, um, that I was already banking with for personal stuff. So I set up a, what's called a business checking account. And then when I first started, I used their merchant terminal. So I was able to process credit card payments online through a terminal website. I can embed like payment codes in my website so people can enter in credit card information. And then I could obviously accept checks and then deposit them into that business account. Now, when I got the EMR, one of the things I looked into was that if it integrated with any kind of online credit card processing, um, so like mine integrates with Stripe, but there's other ones like Square um, out there as well in terms of like online credit card payment processing. Um, but it integrated with the EMR that I use. So again, kind of keeping everything all in one. Um, so there are quite a few options in terms of 
you know, going through your local bank and what kind of merchant services they offer for businesses, especially if you're looking to accept credit card payments. But then there's also the online option in terms of, you know, things like Stripe and Square and what's available through an EMR if you go that route. Well, either way, you need to set up a bank account for your business, right? Yeah, either way. Yes, either way, you're going to need a business bank account. So (laughs) your bank, you're probably with a bank. You probably have a bank account. Mm -hmm. Go to your bank, call them. Yep. Maybe you can apply online, but say, hey, I want to start another account. I'm starting a business. I need an account for that business. And then they'll take you through the steps. and, And then you'll get like a routing number and all kinds of stuff for that bank account. Yes. And uh, so like, you know, processing credit card payments, you still need to somewhere for the money to go. Yes. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And that would be that bank account. That would be the bank account. So like yep. doing Square or Stripe or any of those, you it still need still the bank account to... first. Yes. You need right. the bank account first. It's not like your EMR is going to have a balance of money that you can cash no, out. No. Yeah. Like so, all right. And, just to clarify. And you'll, you'll need your EIN to set up the business bank account too. Like I needed that tax identification. Order of operations here. Need the EIN first and then the bank account comes next. So you set up your business bank account with whoever you are. That's going to give you a place for payments to land. You can go through services for processing credit card payments. What about, um, well, insurance companies, will they send you payments in a variety of ways too? Yeah. So normally there's a couple of methods. So, um, paper checks, still an option, but a lot of them have done away with like mailing you checks out in terms of like security and then also like getting lost in the mail, that kind of stuff. But that's one option. You'll get paper checks, which you'll have to deposit. And then the other um, is electronic funds transfer. So you link your bank account with the insurance company where you would file your claims and then you would have direct deposit. And then the other is um, credit card payments. So I've had insurance companies pay me through a credit card, printed credit card on uh, like a piece of paper. And then I would enter in that information into the terminal that I have for credit card processing. Terminal. That's a fun word. I don't know. I know. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm using the term because it was like a merchant terminal that oh, they use. okay. Yeah. Was, what are you I, doing when you enter something into a terminal? What are you actually doing? I mean, literally, well, for me, I didn't have like a swiping kind of thing. So you literally like type in the, payer, the credit card number, the credit card number, the name on the card, the date of expiration. All right, all charge. that stuff. That's yeah. the terminal. That's it's just the a terminal. bunch of fields on a website, basically. <laughs> okay, um, you you have, and this is another cost that maybe it's not worth it to start with, but down the road it's probably maybe worth it for you. You have an accountant. Yes. And you pay a an accountant to do some things for the business in terms of its income, your taxes. All that stuff, taxes, you're going to have to pay money on the, uh, the, your income is still taxable, mm-hmm. but taxes are not taken out automatically. No. You have to account for those. An accountant can help you account for your taxes. Yes. Kind of a big deal. You don't want to get audited and then owe the government like a billion dollars because you didn't pay taxes for like two years and then you're no. owed back tax. <laughs> you know, it's, it, that's ugly. You, you want to make sure that you're putting money aside to pay taxes. But it could be a worthwhile pursuance of, uh, you know, getting a an accountant set up to help you with this stuff. Yes, definitely. You um, didn't have an accountant to start with. No. For the first two years in business, I didn't. And um, the second year was when I decided that I was hiring an accountant because I was not filing my taxes ever again for my business. <laughs> again, this is about your time mm-hmm. and how much of a, of a headache and how much are you willing to learn and how much of a headache are you willing to endure to get through these things. Yeah. They're necessary evils of running a business. You need to account for this stuff. But 
there are people who do it for a living that you can work with and then boom. Yeah. Now you're hiring someone else. So worth the cost. And I've, um, you know, the account, the accountant that I work with not only files my taxes, but she also is there for questions too. And so, um, I'll often email or call about questions that I have about like tax stuff or the business, um, knowing that, you know, she's the person that I'm going to, you know, hire for additional stuff, like for payroll and all of that kinds of stuff down the line too. So, um, Definitely, definitely worth it. So then there's the matter of tracking your finances, I suppose. And there's a lot of ways to do that. You could just create an Excel spreadsheet. There are, there are applications for that. What do you what do you think? What are your recommendations? Yeah, I mean, again, like low cost kind of thing and stuff would be Excel um, or those kinds of like spreadsheet documents. Google has their own, you know, spreadsheet as well. Um, Google spreadsheets. Google spreadsheets <laughs> or Google sheets, I think is whatever. Sheets. Yeah. yeah it's Google sheets. sheets. Yeah. Um, but with those kinds of things, again, kind of like a lower cost option, um, but can certainly be a way to keep organized. And that's actually what I primarily use now. But there's also like QuickBooks where you can scan your receipts in and you can integrate your bank and you could download reports and all that kind of stuff. And it's a, the, when I was first using QuickBooks, it was like a $10 a month. It was pretty, you know, fairly cheap. Um, so there are methods of tracking finances with using like apps and programs and things that can be pretty low cost, or it could just be like a document in Excel. All right. So that's all the financial stuff. That's a little heavy. There's a handful of things you need to consider for that. Of course, once you get through all that, the bank account, accepting payments, figuring out how you're going to track things and taxes and all that, maybe an accountant, um, you're, you're, probably going to want to consider taking insurance as a dietitian. It'll be a, a, a relatively reliable source of income. Some dietitians don't accept insurance. Mm-hmm. Depends on what you want to do, if you want to do group classes or your own thing or whatever. But um, accepting insurance is something that you, for entertainment purposes only, would recommend yes. a new dietitian do. Right? Absolutely. You personally. Not every dietitian recommends that you go the, the route of insurance, but uh, Felicia does. Yes. And it's definitely one of those things that's opened up you know, my marketing and being able to kind of network with other professionals and bring in referrals for sure. Um, but I would definitely recommend doing, going that route. All right. So, so, so what do we need to consider if we're going to get into uh, taking insurance? How does someone start accepting insurance? So the first is the CAQH ProView, which is a credentialing database. CAQH. Yes. All right. And you're going to need information like your personal provider information. So your address, your education, and then your business EIN. What does CAQH stand for? Council. Oh gosh, I don't remember. All right. CA. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fine. It's, it does stand for something. Um, the, it's an acronym, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, your business EIN, you're going to need your professional license. So like if you have state licensure, um, your liability insurance, you're going to need things like your EIN, your liability insurance, and then your um, NPI before you start this uh, credentialing process. So again, priority steps. Um, so those are things you're going to fill out first, but it's an online database. It's like a, a, a quite a few pages um, that you would fill out in terms of your information. And then you end up with a CAQH provider number, um, and that's your CAQH ID is what you use when you apply to be a provider for each insurance company. So just filling out the CAQH does not make you a provider. It's your credentialing information that you share with each insurance company that you want to credential with. 
So, so you, it's kind of like getting your EIN, but for insurance companies, I guess it's like, it's, know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's lots of, that's it's, not a good way. It's, it's like, so you get your CAQH squared away. Yes. And then that's the thing that you, when you go to each individual insurance company, you're like, Hey, here's this, Yes. you know, sign me up and it's all Keystone or whatever. <laughs> yes. Or Blue Cross. So, um, most insurance companies have a spot on their website that says like join our network or become a provider. An easy thing to do is literally to search, you know, whatever insurance company, Independence, Blue Cross, become a provider, and it'll generally take you to the page that you need um, to apply. And so you'll need your information, your name, your NPI, your business information, and then that CAQH number ID um, that you'd put in that spot. And so this, again, is just your application. Um, So that's the first part is the credentialing part, and then you go through what's called um, the contracting so there's the credentialing and then they reach out and they um, verify information and then you end up in contracting where you actually get a contract and then you're in network. So it does take some time. Um, so let's talk about the timeline for a little bit. So you go, you hit the website for your CAQH, you fill in a bunch of information on some online forms and you hit submit, right? Yes. What's the timeline for getting that done? So that's usually pretty short in terms of it. It's mostly like how that much day or next day. Or? Yeah. So they, they verify your information. And then, um, I think for me, it, to, you had to like fill out some information to get and a login for the CQH. I think that took a couple of days um, for me at the time. Um, but the creating the application just, it's time consuming. So I'd say like a lot a day, maybe to sit down and do all of it if you have everything together. But then once it's done, you oh, like sub- a whole, like a lot, a, a, a day. Like yeah. an entire day to do to getting this done, like yeah, a whole just, afternoon or something. Just because it's a, just a lot of information and there's a lot of pages to click through and it's easy to update it once it's all there, which you need to do every so many days, but um, it is a lot just initially. And then again, this is where keeping yourself organized because you're going to need things like your, your EIN. You're going to have to upload documents as well, like a copy of your license and all of that kind of stuff. So those things, having a, a space that's organized, you could just access these documents if they're online or, you know, paper form. And then that was a pretty short time frame. It was then the application to do for each insurance company and then the credentialing phase and then the contracting that takes the, the All most right, time. So you got your CAQH done. You spent an afternoon banging that out. A couple of days later, bam, it's done. Yes. Now you're going to start applying for insurance companies. Yes. So you, you it's your Blue Cross. Like, hello, Blue Cross. You know, like you go to the website and you click their thing and I, sign me up. And then you... You fill out a bunch more forms yes. for them. Yeah. So you fill out the form for them, and it's maybe several pages. I don't know. Yeah, they're usually not too long um, because, again, a lot of that information is found on the CAQH. They were before a little bit That's longer. That's the whole point. Yes. It's so like auto-filling a bunch of stuff for you, right? Yeah. Your CAQH well, does. Yeah, like, exactly. It satisfies a lot of information requirements for the insurance company. Yes, yeah. But there's still some stuff that you have to provide for them on top of that, yep, right? Yeah, so you just verify like your specialty, your information, your business information, um, and then obviously that's the QH information as well, but it's it's a, you're not inputting all the same info that you just put into the CAQH, so it does have a cut down on the paperwork. Um, now, that's not the same for every insurance company. Like, Medicare is its own thing. So, like, Medicare... Well, Medicare is the government. That's, like, kind of another beast, right? Yeah. So, like, I'm saying this loosely because some insurance companies do have different processes. Do you call Medicare an insurance company? I mean, it's well, not... An ins- it's the government, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's insurance. I, I just... I guess I just look like them all But, like, Aetna, together. Blue Cross, you know, those yeah, big your commercial providers. Yeah, you know, commercial insurances versus... Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, 
So yes, but, but Medicare is very different in terms of like the information that you provide in that document or those documents too. So it's its separate. own thing. Good yes. luck. Medicare.gov. So that's not what it is. I don't know what it is. I but think it I'm, is Medicare. Is it really? There you go. It's Boom. CMS.gov. It. I'm getting um, so good at this. I will say with Medicare that they are really helpful when you call them. Um, I've called quite a few times well, that's about nice. stuff. That's and good. People that's... actually help you through the phone. So I the was the one government agency that's helpful on the phone. Yes. Okay. I had to reassign benefits for something when I changed over to the LLC and I was filling out the wrong thing, didn't realize I was filling out the wrong thing, and I got to a point where I was like, I'm not sure what to do. And so I just called. And the lady sat with me on the phone and walked me through everything I needed to do and the paperwork to fill out, but also waited for me to like click through all the buttons. So Thank that you. is not true for other insurance companies. No. <laughs> is the opposite of the case. If you want to talk to someone at like Blue Cross, Blue Shield or whatever, good luck. You're going to be on the phone on hold for like an hour. Yes. Anyway, that was that's Friday. <laughs> Medicare. They're their own thing. Yeah, you just went through that. But you need to sign up to each insurance company individually. There are several. Probably a good idea to get on board with as many as you can, right? Yes. And one thing to keep, and this is where, again, keeping organized, you're going to fill out your application online and press submit. And it's anywhere from like 30 to 90 days, um, usually for contracting. Usually it'll say. So like I was just looking at one, it was like 45 days. So after that 45 days, you want to make sure you call and they usually on their website have a line, a number for contracting and credentialing. So you call that and see where you are in the contracting or the credentialing uh, phase. And so that's something you having those dates of when you apply to which insurance company, because after a while, just can be a lot. Yeah, keep track <laughs> so. of this information, write it down, put it in a spreadsheet, put it in a Word document. Remember, remember mark down which day you applied. Yes. Because you'll need to, and then, and then you know, keep, keep in track of like, if one of them is 90 days and another is 30 days, you know, I applied on this date, uh, it's 90 days or, or whatever. But yes. tracking this stuff is important because this, uh, so this is the thing that has like a huge lead time. Yes. You know, the CAQH, boom, done. Insurance companies, not so much. Yes. 90 yeah. days, 30 days, 60, whatever it is. It'll be several weeks. Yeah. Minimum weeks. So, you know, huge difference between that and the CAQH. But yes. it'll take a while and you'll have to go through all that stuff. But eventually, you will become an insurance provider for somebody. Yes. Right? <laughs> and then you move on to the, uh, is there anything else we should talk about? No. And this is one of those things, you know, when you become an insurance provider, you're going to need to know how to file claims. Don't really get yourself worried about that too much because for a lot of insurance companies, they have preferred um, systems that they use. Like just for an example, Independence Blue Cross uses what's called Pair Portal now. So there's, but don't, that's again, where we think about starting off and not overwhelming yourself too much. Don't worry so much about claims when you need to start with being a provider first. So. Cool, 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 cool. Love it. Love this. Good stuff. All right. You're with an insurance company or two or three, and you've had some helpful phone calls with Medicare. Lovely people over there at Medicare. Now you're ready to get some effing clients. All right. Let's get going. Let's make some money. Let's get that cash. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what? How do you get? How do you get clients? So, um, how to get clients? So. If you're getting ready to seek, well, there's a getting clients. Um, I think we should start there. Probably with getting right? clients. Like yes. how, do you, how do you actually get you're clients, right? right? <laughs> we should I probably start there. So first is um, 
Well, one, becoming an insurance provider definitely helps. Um, they just refer people to you, don't they? Sometimes? Yes. So like norm- passively? Yeah. So normally what they'll do is if a member calls and they're looking for a provider, they'll search for providers in their like zip code and then usually give them a list or give them a name of um, different providers on that list. I have had situations where um, someone calls me and they have like 15 providers that they were given information for and they just kind of go down the line as to who answers or calls back. Um, important to start calling back as soon as you can. Yes. We didn't talk about that. No. What do you use for your phone number for your business? So I use Google Voice, but I also have the HIPAA compliant version, which is through Google Workspace, which originally was not called Google Workspace. Um, point being, you need to set up a phone number. Yes. We didn't even talk about that. Don't use, don't recommend using your personal number. Um, separate the two again, you know, have a business number. So Google voice is a free option. Um, they do have a free phone number, but you can also then again, if you're going to be using it for anything that's going to contain transmission of information, that's HIPAA, you know, uh, you know, the PHI and all that kind of stuff, get something that's secure. Um, so that's one option. There's a couple of other like phones, like I think ring is another one, but there's other ones out there, but get a business line. Uh, for sure. And then I think we touched on this very briefly before, but like a business address, you you have your own special P.O. box at a place that it's like a street address, real address or whatever. Yeah. So getting like, and this is again where, you know, as you're setting up business information and paperwork, you want to consider these things that if you're not going to rent like a physical office space, you want to have some kind of business mailing address. So if clients need to send you something, you need to put information on like the directories, you need to anything, you don't want to be using like your personal home address. Um, so getting one of those like real street addresses, you know, that are not PO boxes, because you can't use those um, would be options. So going to like your UPS store or things like that, local post offices, and asking about business mailboxes. You know, it's semantic, though, it's you go to the UPS store or whatever, you get a real street address, and it's like a suite number. It's literally a P.O. box (laughs) in the store, but it's not categorized as such. It's a P.O. box, yeah. All right, so you've got, you're an insurance provider, you've got your phone number set up, HIPAA compliant, all that stuff. Insurance companies are going to shotgun dietitians at their clients for them to find a provider, kind of. Mm. Here's a list of 48, not 48, like 10 people or whatever. (laughs) A lot of people. They'll start making calls. You may get some calls on that business number that's listed, associated with your business for that insurance provider. You might get a phone call. Probably be a good idea to call them back right away if you want that client. Yeah. So a couple of things. One, set up your your uh, voicemail to say when you're going to call clients back. And then also um, having an online presence is really helpful because I've had people who have my information and on the insurance company website, your website isn't linked. If you have like your own business website or anything, it's just your phone number, your address and your name. So I've had clients who just Google my name and then they find my website and then they find information about me and then maybe send me an email or schedule through my website. Um, and so I can grab clients in that way too, so even that's, if not through phone. That's kind of a whole nother can of worms. Yes. <laughs> Starting a website there are really low cost options for that that mm-hmm. are just like a page. Like you can have a web page. You can you have to so we're going off we're going in the weeds here, but this is like a whole another thing. You 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 buy a URL. So you buy www.yourbusiness.com. Mm-hmm. Not that actual URL, but whatever you want it to be. Um, you know, superhealthyfoodeats.com <laughs> and then you have to buy hosting. Mm-hmm. to have anything on that 
website. Yes. It doesn't exist yet if you just own the URL. Yeah. And that hosting, that's a monthly cost. Yes. There are a lot of other things associated with that. So you can go to GoDaddy or one of them to get the URL. You can get a URL through Wix now, can't you? And those like Squarespace? Yeah. Um, GoDaddy, Wix, Squarespace, WordPress. Um, and then you can... Do people still use WordPress? Yeah. A lot of people use WordPress um, and update it to the .com. So like there's, you know, like I use it for blogs. So it's like parasnutrition.wordpress.com. Uh, but you can, you know, pay to do like just the .com without WordPress in it. Probably so. the easy thing to do is like Wix or Squarespace though. Straight up, they're like a complete package. Yeah. You can go there, you can buy the URL, you can buy hosting, and then they have a drag and drop HTML editor that lets you set up your website and they give you like five pages or whatever it is. Yeah. But you can set up like an about me, contact information, and then, you know, link to other stuff if you want to. Yeah. But having that set up, that's kind of its own thing. But there is so much online resources that's something you can do by the way while you're waiting for your 90-day lag time yes <laughs> for becoming an insurance provider so maybe after you fill all that stuff caqh you, you apply to some insurance companies get ready to get clients between then and being certified with the insurance company being approved mm-hmm. by starting a website yes perhaps yeah and just even you know like like you mentioned, there's a lot of ones that are drag and drop. Like I use GoDaddy and it's drag and drop. It's really easy. They have a lot of pre-built templates too. Um, but go to other dietitian websites, just like, or other healthcare provider websites and just see what they look like. Um, it's going to look real fancy. A lot of them are going to look real fancy. You know what? It's easy to do. Yes. It's very, a lot of them are templates. None of those people are actually web programmers <laughs> or web developers. It's literally, when I say drag and drop, I mean, you build it. Like, you drag from on this side to the other side. Whoa-bam, I want this thing. I want that. It's it's wet. You start with a template where, like, a bunch of features are set up for you. It's so much easier now than it was, like, 15 years ago when you had to learn HTML. Yeah. So easy now to do this. And it's one of those things where you want to have the basics on there, like the about information, contact page, you know. Some pictures. Some pictures. Of yourself, perhaps. Yes. And, like. That could be the bare minimum. It doesn't have to look super fancy, but being able to like easily navigate the information and get your contact information there and like a way for someone to contact you is really the biggest thing. So you can always update it. Yeah. And you'll be taken more seriously if you have a website too. It's kind of, it's not, I don't know if it's an expectation now, but a lot of people assume that a professional business or whatever is going to have some kind of online presence. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's kind of expected at this point that you are present on the internet in multiple places that you have a website and probably social media accounts and stuff like that. Yes. Either way, um, it's, it's definitely a consideration. It will help you receive clients better. Yes, absolutely. So we we're talking about getting clients right now. The insurance company send them your way. Maybe you capture some with the website. What else you got on this? So working with local providers in your area, like doctor's offices, healthcare facilities, um, more outpatient based will probably be your best approach or like, you know, provider offices, family practices. But this is where you want to think about if you have a specialty, you know, reaching out to, let's say, a gastroenterologist, if you specialize in GI related conditions, if you just kind of see anybody, you can reach out to like family practices. Um, if you work with pediatrics, you can again. So think about if you do have a specialty, kind of, you know, what businesses are in your area that might align with that specialty. And otherwise, just kind of first go with that healthcare professional route, you know, what businesses, what kinds of um, practices are around you and reach out to them, you know, let them know that you're, you know, a dietitian provider in the area and 
he wanted to speak with them about, um, you know, partnering with them, you know, to see clients. And so that could be another referral source. Anything else with, with that sort of thing? Referral sources? Um, I don't think Networking so. Networking groups, anything like that? Well, there's also like, you know, chamber of commerces and there's different, you know, areas like that where you can kind of network with other professionals um, and businesses in the area. So that can be really good, especially if you are not maybe as ingrained in your location, um, you know, to kind of meet other business owners and get your name out there. That can also be a really good way to, to get clients. And this is all stuff that you can do while you're waiting those 30 or 90 days. You know, just stay productive. This is stuff you can do while you're just kind of waiting around for insurance companies to get it together and send you your approval stuff. Yes. All right. So now you've got a source of clients. You've got some people, some buzz. You're getting hit up left and right. You got to beat them away with a stick. What do you do? How do you get them in as clients? How do you start seeing them? So you want to think about, and this is again, as you're kind of thinking about your practice and before you get clients, what your options are with seeing clients. So telehealth is obviously still big right now. And a lot of people are solely doing telehealth, which can include video or phone sessions. Um, so that can obviously be a convenient way to see clients. Uh, but then face-to-face -face is also an option. So you want to think about like, are you going to rent space? Are you going to sublet from another professional? Use a co-working space where you rent per hour of time, but you really want to get that determined because when you have a client call you, you want to be able to let them know here's when, you know, where I see clients and how I see clients. All right. Let me just lay this out. Just, and this is my brain. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying you're, I get it. All right. Here's, here's what we got. You can do telehealth, which is voice calls or video calls. Yes. Right. One of those two. Mm -hmm. They're both good. You do both. You have yes. clients who prefer one or the other. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's face-to-face, -face, which either they come to you at some office location that you have a professional space that you rent. It's probably not going to be your home, no. your home as the dietitian, unless you have an office unless off to the separate. side of your house or something like that, Yeah, which some people do. I've seen like family practices or mm -hmm. dentists and stuff that do that. Yeah, it's definitely an option. Or, or you go to them. Yes. And home visits. Yes, home visits are an option as well. So those are basically the four, mm -hmm. where telehealth is, is video or voice, um, and the face-to-face is either you go to them or they come to a professional space that you have. Yes. Those are the four ways that you're going to see clients, yeah. generally speaking. Generally, yep. Yeah. Two are telehealth, two are face-to-face. -face. Yes. Okay. So besides location, what else does someone do to get ready for clients? Get your paperwork in order. So um, HIPAA privacy notices um, and notice of privacy practices. So definitely need to have these. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has information on these. Um, but you need the privacy notice. And then you need a, a way for clients to sign that they acknowledge these privacy practices. Um, informed consents. So for nutrition services. And then for if you're doing telehealth. Um, new client form, which would be basically, you know, their information, their insurance information, you know, why they're seeing you, medical history, all that kind of stuff. Business policies form, you want to get that together. So what are your policies on payment? What are your policies on no-shows, cancellations, um, you know, client interactions, all that stuff. You want to have a, like a policies document. And then a HIPAA communication consent. So this is something that I have for um, consenting to email, text, and voicemail. Um, so I know their preferred method of contact, but also if it's okay to text them, if it's okay to send them an email and having that, you know, with, you know, 
the information about how they're not inherently secure, but that they're signing off um, that these are okay to use. So you've got all these consent forms and policy forms that are basically their text documents, yes. right? Now, when a client is preparing to see you as the dietitian, they've called you, you've corresponded with them, they've set an appointment with you, we're at that stage where we're considering your paperwork. Yes. When you have that all go through and they have an appointment set, you, your EMR would email them all of these documents. Yes. So what I, with my EMR, I send, um, I can check off the documents to send. I send them a welcome email, which is already pre-built. Um, and just includes the appointment information and a link to what's called like a client portal. And then when they click on the link, they log into their portal and they could see all of the documents there that they would sign online or fill in. Client portal. It's just like a, it's like a, their own. Is this all through your EMR? Yeah. So it's just all. What if someone doesn't have an EMR? So it's through, oh, so like if um, if you're working as a dietitian and you don't go with the EMR route. Or you don't yet. have one yet. You've got two clients. You would have to send them all these policy forms and welcome and all that stuff. You have those text documents saved. You all you, you send them an email where you them. put them all in the email. It's like six documents or whatever yeah, it's going like to be. Attachments. And you send it to them. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it's not through your EMR if you don't have one. No. So that's yeah. what you would do manually. Yes. So what I was doing when I first started was I was sending these all as attachments. So the client would have to print them out and fill them in and then either send them back through email or uh, fax them or mail them in for me to get the documents. So can you not have them sent as like writable PDFs that they check and like do an e-signature? You could, although like that would be an extra cost. Usually it's not something. Yeah, for you to be able to create writable PDFs, you would need to pay for that. Yeah. You pay Adobe, Acrobat, Premium or whatever it is. Yeah, and then the other thing to consider too is to make sure that the client has the ability to do all that. Yeah, if they're not capable of printing documents, signing them and then scanning them and sending them back to you via email, then you need to figure out how else to work that right yeah and that's where i in the past have mailed paperwork and this is like if you're seeing people face to face it's a little easier because you could bring the documents with you and like have them fill them out then and there but if you're doing telehealth you want to get that information back so i've had to mail copies physical copies to a client and have them mail it back but then that creates a lead time as to when we can actually see each other for an appointment so that paperwork's received. So ideally, so. if you're doing telehealth, you email them a bunch of documents or your EMR does it for you. Mm-hmm. Then they print them, fill them out, sign and scan them and send them back to you. Yeah, That seems like a lot. It is a lot. And something to consider is if you're emailing and receiving documents back with sensitive information, you need to make sure that your email is HIPAA compliant, which you want to have anyway, but that's something, or if you're using a fax, that's HIPAA compliant. And those are all still added costs too to consider. So, so if you have your EMR, that's already HIPAA, whatever. Yes. They said it's yeah. HIPAA compliant. But your email, you can get like the Gmail suite HIPAA compliant setup, which is another cost. Yeah. Yep. The Google Workspace covers um, Gmail and uh, Google Docs um, and Google, Google Drive. Um, you just assigned the business associate agreement, which is in the workspace uh, when you pay. So that's another cost consideration that we kind of missed earlier, but, mm-hmm. and it's something else that you could set up and get squared away with during your 90 day wait. There's a yes. lot of things <laughs> you can get going. 
during that time. And then you got to figure out a way to manage all these documents, right? Yeah. And that's where, again, you know, having an EMR makes it easy because you're storing everything online. Everything's kind of in one spot with each client. Whereas otherwise, you know, having a locked filing cabinet or, you know, flash drives that are encrypted, those kinds of things, again, little extra costs here and there, uh, but then making sure that those files are labeled, easy to access and things that you can store securely. All right. So a client, when you first make contact, they're going to tell you they have this and that or whatever. They're going to tell you about their insurance. It's up to you as the, uh, the professional in this case to verify their insurance. Yeah. So when I first started, I used to call to verify benefits. And this was partially to understand the process and learn more. But also, um, I didn't really know what I was kind of doing. And so I wanted to make sure that I was hitting all the steps. Uh, now I have my clients call to verify, though, if I have a new insurance plan or with changes like with telehealth, I'm calling to verify benefits here and there. Um, but if you are having a client call, I recommend providing them with like a script of specific questions to ask. Um, so you know they're getting the correct information that you need. So specifically, this is your client say they're going through their insurance. Yes. Right. This is only a thing for insurance. Yes. Um, they're covered three, six visits, whatever. But, you know, they they have to call their insurance company to say a bunch of stuff to make sure that they're actually covered? Yeah, so it's a point. Because a lot of insurance companies have coverage, but it's dependent upon the member's plan. So that's where, although the insurance company might cover for nutrition counseling or this and that, it may be specific to the plan type. So that's where you want to verify. So what what does the client need to know or what would you need to know in order for all this to be kosher? So when you call, you need to know Sorry. Your provider, <laughs> your provider information. Um, so your NPI, your business address, your phone number, your business name, or your individual name. They'll ask you for all of that. And then you need to know the member's name, their insurance ID, and their date of birth. And then for the service, you're going to need to know the CPT code, which is generally 97802. We have a video on we CPT do. codes. That's right. <laughs> um, and the place of service. So 02 is usually telehealth, and then 11 is like office. Um, 12 is home. Um, so you need to know those specific codes when you call. All right. That's verifying insurance. Yes. And That's a lot of stuff. It is. And we have a, a video on what to ask about when you call to verify benefits because you want to ask about those codes, but also if a referral is needed, um, if there's a limitation, if the deductible needs to be met, and if there's a copay. Um, I will say always get a reference number for your call. It'll make your life easier. So, so why that. does someone need to verify insurance? Because here's what happens, and I've had this happen, where the client sees on the website that they get coverage for nutrition, but it's member limited by member plan. So they think they have coverage. They meet with you for an appointment. You submit a claim and you find that the service is actually not covered. And so the client now has a bill that they were expecting to be free. And so that's where your policies document comes in to say that they're responsible for the service. But at the same time, they're thinking it's free. doesn't matter if they sign something. They're like, well, it was supposed to be free. I thought my insurance was going to cover it. And then you run into trying to track people down for payment. So it's another battle that, you know, if you can avoid it. So that's the point of verifying insurance mm-hmm. to make sure everyone's on the same page. Yes. You get verification of what's covered and the client's expectations are managed properly. Yes, because... You're- yeah, because yeah. I've had clients where I, I might say, I, I'm not sure if this is covered to your insurance company. 
I instruct them to call, I give them the, the information to verify and they come back to me and they'll either say it's covered or it's not, or I'll, you know, verify. And maybe it's like not sure if it's going to be covered or there's a limitation. A client will ask, you know, I want to know how much it's going to cost me out of pocket if my insurance doesn't cover it. Or they're like, oh, I do want the service regardless. So we'll bill insurance. And if it's covered, it's covered. If not, I'll pay out of pocket. But they know that from the start, that if it's not covered or it may not be covered, here's the cost that will be for them. That's another general business principle, managing expectations. You know, if someone's prepared mentally to pay 30 or 50 or 80 bucks or whatever it's going to be for their copay or if it's not covered, then you don't have a problem. The problem is when someone receives a service and the expectation is they're going to pay X and they have to pay Y. Yes. You know, managing expectations. If people don't think they're going to have to pay anything. It doesn't matter if it's 10 bucks. Yeah. They're going to be mad. <laughs> yes. I thought it was free. You know, it's, it, that, that's the big point of, of verifying insurance is making sure everyone's on the same page. And again, where why I also find it's better for the clients to call because if they get the information, it's covered. They use the prompts and then it's not covered. They're like, it's not coming to me to say, well, you might not have asked the right thing or you know, it's like, no, I called, they told me it was covered. And then they're in a battle with their own insurance company to get that. So it's just something else to consider. Yeah. That doesn't happen with like every client. No, no. It's a, it's but not. it's, it, it, the few that it does happen with, it's a massive headache and mm -hmm. it's time consuming and it's like emotionally stressful. <laughs> These people yes. are angry. You don't want to have to deal with it. If you don't have to, there are steps to avoid it. Verifying insurance, verifying their insurance benefits is the easiest way. The biggest way to avoid that whole thing. Yes. All right. So business coaching is a thing that yes. exists and it's a little bit, mm, you know, it's yeah. a little bit, eh, I don't, I don't like it. We did a podcast on this, ah. but as we're talking about, you know, starting a practice, one of the most common questions that comes up is, you know, do I need to hire a business coach or should I? And it can absolutely be helpful to have somebody in like navigating you through this transition, but it's not necessary. Um, it's absolutely possible to do it on your own um, and hire people that you need along the way, like an accountant and, a, you know, an attorney and things like that. Um, and then there's also programs like the Nutrition Entrepreneurs has a mentoring program. The Academy now has a mentoring program. Um, you know, there's a ton of Facebook groups out there that have you know, information from dietitians and dietitians that have checklists for starting a business. So there's so many resources out there um, that you can absolutely start your practice and have a thriving practice without using a business coach. What I don't like about it, to clarify, is there's a lot of people floating around that are like clickbaiting you, kind of like guaranteed a thousand clients or whatever. They'll, they'll, yeah. And they'll, they're the slimy business tactics and all that stuff where people are trying to rope you into paid services and take advantage of you because you're confused and you don't know what you're looking at and you think these people are going to help demystify it for you. Beware of people who are trying to take advantage of you. Yes. It's all over the place in every industry. There's a bunch of these guru business people that are like absurdly positive in their language Meanwhile, they just want, they have like these lackluster products or these services that deliver low value for lots of money. Yeah. Be very careful if you're going to pay for anything. Yeah. And if you are going to go with a business coach, make sure that what their services are, are going to actually align with what you need. Um, 
Some give you actual steps to starting a practice. Some are there for you through the process. But uh, just something to consider is making sure that if you are going that route, that what they're offering is actually what you need to be successful in your business. Felicia does have a program for like a a launch pad, Mm -hmm. kind of like a, a, like a, like it's like a three month month launch. launch. Yeah. Yeah. Monthly. It's something that you do. Um, We've just talked through all the steps pretty much. (laughs) All that Felicia would do is take you through them. Yeah. And if you want that, that kind of guidance, it's, there is a paid option for this stuff. Felicia's not the only person who does this. No, no. And there's dietitians who specialize in like the insurance reimbursement, like as in like the nitty gritty of it. And like, there's, so there's dietitians who specialize in different areas with their coaching um, or have different formats for how they do it. Uh, mine's more of like a mentoring coaching. So, you know, I'm supplying you with a lot of the information here I've given, but also like templates and, you know, document templates and checklists and all that you know, helping to hold you accountable, you know, being there as kind of like a, a second pair of eyes and ears kind of thing too. But it's, you know, the goal is that you have all this information that it's, this shouldn't be a secret. So there shouldn't that's be the secrets. Big thing. Yeah. That's what a lot of people will hawk is like 10 secrets to getting your business successful. And like, it's a big slimy kind of a sales yeah. tactic thing that they run with. I, I hate it. I, it's not, I don't know specifically if that's, I'm sure that's present in I've dietetics. That, yeah. Yeah. But it's in every field, every type of business. God, the ads on Facebook, my, my Amazon drop shipping business made $7,000 this week. I'll show you how for 49 bucks a month. And it's like some nonsense BS program that doesn't do anything for you. That's not something that I would say you, anyone should do ever. It's a scam. But um, Felicia does have a package to just take you through this stuff if mm-hmm. you're interested. You know, it's not like your main squeeze. I mean, we're trying no. to give this stuff away for the sake of the, for the sake of just the industry in general. Yeah, dietetics has gotten a bad rap in a lot of ways, and it's not where it should be in our opinion, in Felicia's opinion, in most dietitians' opinion. It's not taken as seriously. It's not. You know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with dietetics, and that's kind of the goal of, or overarching with with why we're doing what we're doing. Yes. But um, of course, Felicia does have a package that will take you through this stuff and, and, and guide. It's more about guidance. That's really accountability. What it is. Yeah, because I've had people who like watch all the videos, listen to all the podcasts, read every blog I write, and they're like, but I still want coaching because, you know, it's you, and it's, it's also more specific and personalized and tailored to what I need, and um, we can kind of jump through things that they've already done, but also kind of navigate situations that I might not have a podcast on or something, but it's yeah, more you, personalized. You, you may have specific needs or certain questions that you haven't found. Well, you know, not for anything, but geez, leave a comment. If you have a question, yeah. feel free to leave a comment. And Always we'll, a comment. We'll respond. Yeah. But um, so that's kind of business coaching in general. Proceed with caution. Yes. You know, really look into it. And maybe if there's coaching from someone who does who does a specific thing, maybe that's an option. Beware of like the business gurus that are going to make you rich yeah. type of thing. And if, and if, if someone is like, really flashy with like effects and like they're being loud and like yelling and throwing huge numbers around that's a dead giveaway that they're full of crap yeah and something else too so um most business coaches um if they're good would offer a free consult with you 15 20 minutes 30 minutes now a generally good business coach when they do that initial consult with you, they'll actually ask you questions. Have you asked them questions? But it's not a 20 minute or 30 minute sales pitch. It's about you and you actually getting some information out of that. So 
if you, that would be something if you're looking into a business coach is to schedule one of those and just, you can get a vibe usually from somebody within that 15, 20 or 30 minutes with them to know if they're really trying to just pitch you or if they are really truly interested in what you have to say or questions that you have and might even give you some coaching on the phone. Um, but that could be a way to really, yeah, I'm, I'm going through a medical billing and coding program right now. And just out of curiosity, I looked around for like medical coding stuff and there's like some YouTube channels that are devoted for it, but almost all of them only exist to pitch a product and they pitch their product relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And there are certain videos that are entirely for the sole purpose of promoting their product or their whatever. I mean, it's like nauseating, like 15 minute videos of just testimonials. It's like, all right, come on. What is the point of this even? Side note, I'll be able to bill for you next year <laughs> yes. as another service that we'll offer. I'm learning medical billing and coding primarily to learn about learning with uh, working with insurance companies and billing and stuff. That's a side note, whatever. All right. So uh, marketing yourself is probably like sort of the final thing to tune in. Yeah. I guess. So we kind of talked about like the uh, starting a website and all of that. But the other thing would be, you know, with social media. Um, it can get to be pretty overwhelming to think about everything you need to do of which social media sites. And I'd say just to kind of make it even easier on yourself, just figure out where your clients are first. You know, if you, like I work with a lot of clients that are in like their 40 to 60 range and they're not really on Instagram, they're on Facebook. Um, but in terms of like dietetic stuff, a lot of dietitians use Instagram and then YouTube is also another area. So like that's something just to consider um, you don't need to be on every single social media platform. Um, and that can be pretty time consuming too. So, and it can be a time sink. And if you've noticed, I've been pretty inactive on my own social media channels lately. And that's because you have a full-time job and we just bought a house. Yeah. So, you know, life gets in the way. Don't get so, uh, there's so much stuff about social media out there, like posting this many times per week and that way, and it can be overwhelming. And that's one of those things where, you kind of need to lay the foundation of your business first, get all those business steps knocked out. And you can always add in social media and work on that. So it's, it's a good thing to develop a presence. And a lot of it really is just so you're taken seriously and you kind of have a presence in these spaces. Facebook's a big deal. But, you know, you're not going to pull tons of clients from having a Facebook page. Yeah. Like it's not going to kill your business if you don't have an active Instagram account. Yeah. You'll be more present and active, but people consuming content on Instagram are not the people that are looking to, to pay a bunch of money or, or, you know, sign up for a service with their insurance company. Like it's not, the two don't really talk to each other that way. Yeah. The two like aspects of your business have it if you want it but really it is not like instagram only existed has only existed for like five or ten years people have been doing this stuff for like decades it's not necessary yeah yeah so don't get too hung up on on that a lot of people seem to really get hung up on social media i feel like as a a cult i feel like culturally people are starting to move away from it like there there are Mm. these movements to like drop social media and detox from it and stuff yeah i mean it's like we talked about imposter syndrome on other podcasts but that's you know it's just it's draining sometimes emotionally to like look look, at everyone's highlight reels and how awesome their life looks and stuff what they're doing in business that you're not doing and that you should be doing more toxic bs from all the business coach personalities too and that (laughs) figures a month it's like all right dude yeah no thanks yeah so you know that's another thing where it's like, get into it if you want, but don't consider it absolutely mandatory to have this bonkers 
Instagram presence where you you know have tons of followers and stuff. It doesn't really directly translate necessarily to client load and making money. Mm -hmm. It can, it can help, but it's not necessary. Don't hang your hat on it by any yes. stretch. All right, so that kind of wraps things up. Um, you know, we started off with with getting organized and setting <laughs> up your business like an hour ago. Um, you know, financially getting ready for for this and and considering your costs and stuff. You get through that. You get ready to take insurance. You figure out how to get some clients, and then you figure out what to do when you have them. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we kind of round it out with talking a little bit about business coaching, marketing, and and those sorts of extras once you're getting going and kind of fine tuning. What else you got? Any any final words of wisdom, Felicia? Yes, two big things. One, this is and can be starting a practice pretty turbulent and free feel pretty overwhelming so oh it will absolutely <laughs> so. feel like you are in a whole new world of nonsense yes. and you'll be confused and overwhelmed which is part of the reason coaching is a thing in the first place yes. if you want to avoid that discomfort but it will be yes. massively uncomfortable yes and what am i doing and so having a support system so not just friends family but other connecting with other dietitians can be really helpful. Um, and then just taking it day by day and again, like prioritizing. So tackle those big things, even though that they'll take time, you know, because tackling the little stuff can feel good in the moment, but not be the things that you actually need to do to really kind of keep yourself going forward. So, you know, probably don't need to focus on creating client paperwork until you have like an NPI and an EIN set up. So. Yeah. Prioritize your steps here. Don't go nuts. Don't make a, don't, don't spend like days creating an Instagram account if you don't yes. have your EIN. <laughs> yeah. You know, for your business. Probably want to hold it off on that. Right. But it's a, it's a journey. Yes. It's uh, something we're all going through together. And, you know, if Felicia were to start from scratch today, she'd be up and running in 90 days. She'd be waiting on insurance companies to approve. She'd have everything set up. For anyone just getting going, obviously that's not possible. Yes. You don't know what you're doing. Take it, take it slow. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to rush yourself and push yourself to the point where you're stressing yourself out. Space things out. Take it slow if, if, you're, if you're stressed out, if you're concerned. There's no reason to rush and freak out. Yeah. You know, any questions, concerns, comments, of course, leave them below in the uh, YouTube comment section. If you're listening on audio, what are you doing? Get, no, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> but we, we have a YouTube channel. You can leave comments and we'll, anything that you have concerns for, obviously we'll, we'll respond. Mm -hmm. uh, links to all relevant resources in the description or the show notes, stuff like EIN, your NPI, all those links, HIPAA stuff going to be in the show notes. That is going to do it for us here at the My Dietitian Journey <laughs> podcast. Thanks so much for being with us.